Hi, welcome to the Macabre Emporium. Let me get my emotional support cat. Okay. <laughs> to be quiet and keep the kids quiet, since he was getting anxiety and he didn't want to kill children. Gertrude's daughter even got to join in on what they considered fun. Tell us about the giant turtle. Alan never showed up, nor was he ever heard from again beyond that point. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. We, this is episode 22. Yeah. <laughs> That's all staying in. I don't care. <laughs> Anyhow. And if this is your first time joining us because you're some wackadoodle that like started the most recent episode and not episode one, welcome. Welcome, wackadoodle. So, how was it your first week as a manager? Technically second, True. but still in training. Yeah. So we'll find out. Ask me next week because okay. this Monday will technically be my first day on my own. All right. And I'm terrified. So... Yeah, this is awkward because now we don't have a whole bunch of other stuff. Because, <laughs> yeah, because I don't have shit. Yeah, because I'm going solo for the month of April. And, you know, we said in the last two weeks, in case you missed it, Sarah's taking a new position at work as, you know, big shock as manager, as I've already asked her that question. Yeah. So she has some classes that she has to finish up first, and she's still doing her manager's training. So she wanted yes. to focus on More that. on that, and then not try to do that plus this at the same time for the month of April. Yes. She will be back doing her own normal stories. Yes, and I'll still crime. be, yeah, and I'll still be on every episode. I just won't be doing my own portion. I'll just be mm-hmm. here as your cheer, cheer, cheerleader. Yep, that word. <laughs> do I need to go find a new co-host that can talk? <laughs> Words fail me. <laughs> no. <clears throat> so, yeah, technically this is episode one of Sarah-less episodes. Yeah. So, they... Probably be a little bit shorter than, you know, or closer to our normal hour that we are. But yeah, I wanted to stay consistent, you know, still bring you guys something every week. Except uh, the weekend of the weekend of my birthday, we will not be doing an episode yeah. because you... we will be out. OK, remember? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the weekend of uh, we'll say what would it be the 22nd. There, yeah, that weekend there will not be an episode out that following Wednesday. And now I come to think about it, I think she wanted me to take a break off also for this month, yeah, so she could avoid her 40th birthday roast like she did to me. <laughs> Good luck. Guess what? It's still gonna happen, whatever, even though if I would have recorded it and like just put it out there without your, you know, your banter back and forth with me about it. Yep, uh, that's rude. <laughs> that's really rude where would i have found the time to actually record that without you here you wouldn't unless i went out with d yeah that'd be some bullshit <laughs> wait till you have go. fun with your friend have fun meanwhile you're here talking so much shit about yeah. me without me here you're just as old as cherry coke but, oh my god which is true shut up Anyways, you learned something today about yourself. Moving on. <laughs> moving on. Yes, my tolerance as I get older is getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> but it needs to start getting bigger and bigger now, being part of management. But oh anyway. my god! Yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be something. <sighs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, what do you have for us this week, Sarah? Not a goddamn thing. <laughs> like I said. Wanted to be consistent, so I had to ask that question anyway. <laughs> what are you doing this week? You ready for this? Yep. 
Are you sitting down? Yeah. Clear, well, clear. duh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they don't know that. For all they know, we're standing up. Well, I have a bench. Oh, you might find that shocking, but I'm doing true crime. Oh, my God. You got a lot to live up to. Yeah, I know. Don't. Don't. She even said don't. <laughs> well, I'm going to because this is kind of a true crime, like, double whammy almost because it comes back in and hits you in the stomach because of it almost being an origin of sorts. Okay. Yeah. A little bit shocking, isn't it? <clears throat> no. Not shocking that I can find somehow <laughs> to put two both of these together? No. Okay. So have you ever heard of the name of Ronald Clark O'Brien? No. Okay. I've heard of Ronald McDonald, but I don't no. think they're related. No, this Ronald's more of a piece of shit than the Ronald McDonald is. Okay. Let's hear well. it. So you're getting ready to get started then? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's a whole consistency thing. Yep. We have all grown up to always check our Halloween candy. You might have done it with a groan about it with because thinking it might be stupid or parents didn't trust us enough and they would do it themselves. You could have grown up in a much bigger city where law enforcement would have set up a candy checkpoint or the hospitals would x-ray your sugary hall. But as children, all we could see was mountains of Reese cups, Kit Kats, and Skittles. To our parents, all they could see was broken glass, razor blades, and cyanide after one man by the name of Ronald Clark O'Brien would change Halloween nationwide in 1974, become known as the man that killed Halloween. Killed Halloween? Mm -hmm. Well, that's balls. Ronald Clark O'Brien was born in Houston, Texas to William and Elise O'Brien. He would have two children, eight-year-old Timothy <laughs> and five-year-old Elizabeth with his wife, Deneen. Going with it, don't care. I know. <laughs> Not much is really known about his background other than he had trouble holding down jobs and moved his family to five different cities. And he also worked as an optician for a Texas State Optical in, Sharp, in, the, Sharp Towns, in the Sharp Town District in Houston, Texas. He would also be a deacon at the Second Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, where he sang in the choir and ran a local bus program. So he kind of sounds kind of like an upstanding guy, right? Yeah, it's usually those that wind up being the most fucked up. Yeah, it's like, Bill, I think I brought the joke up before from George Carlin. It's it's always the quiet ones you got to watch out for. Yeah. Because, you know, it's going to be the guy at the counter banging on the bar with the fucking machete. I'm going to kill the next motherfucker that walks in here. Well, yeah, I'm going to watch the quiet guy, but anyway. Right? <laughs> After relocating to an apartment in Deer Park, Texas, the O'Briens would befriend the Bates family. Father Jimmy and daughter Kimberly and his son Mark and their wife, which I could not find a name for, which they had met through their church that Ronald was the deacon at. Okay. On a rainy Halloween night in 1974, the Bates family would invite the O'Briens over for a pork roast dinner and trick-or-treating in the neighboring town of Pasadena, Texas. As the Bates and the O'Brien children would go door-to-door -to, -door to collect their candy, they would come across a home that had no lights on. It appeared that nobody was home. The kids still rang the doorbell regardless, but no one answered. Jimmy Bates would continue on with the four children down the street while Ronald O'Brien would hang back and later catch up with them. Unbeknownst to Jimmy Bates and the children, Ronald O'Brien was hiding pixie sticks in the sleeve of his raincoat. Some sources saying he was wearing his lab coat from his job also probably to be okay. like 
in a Halloween costume, you know, trick-or-treating with the kids like you see most adults do. Now, these aren't the smaller paper tube pixie sticks. Like, there's like 20 in a pack or whatever, the size of a drinking straw. Okay. These were the big 21-inch, <clears throat> like really hard, heavy-duty plastic pixie sticks. Okay. Now, knowing how long those are, it's like, how did you walk with that and not notice thing? Like Ralphie. Barbie arms. Barbie arms Ralphie from <laughs> Christmas Story. Yeah. I can't put my arms down. He would claim that the house that they had stopped at that had no lights on and given them to him. He would give all four of the, all four of the children one of these giant pixie sticks. And then the fifth one, he would see a boy that he recognized from the church. The fifth one, Whitney Brown. Okay. After returning home, Timothy would ask if he could eat some of his Halloween candy, according to Ronald. Timothy would choose the giant pixie stick. Timothy would struggle to get the candy open. So Ronald would help his son by knocking the powder loose by running in between his hands. So Timothy would tell his father that it didn't taste right and it had a bitter taste to it. And trying to be a good father and help his son, he would get him some Kool-Aid to wash the bitter taste from his mouth. And it was almost immediate that Timothy would complain of stomach pains and ran to the bathroom to vomit. By the time he would reach the bathroom, Timothy would begin to vomit and ha start having convulsions. Timothy O'Brien died in route to the hospital less than an hour after eating his pixie stick. Oh, damn. Hospital staff would say that Ronald O'Brien would be seen beating his hands on the wall, screaming, Please, God, don't take my son. And doctors would become concerned that he may have been poisoned as well with this behavior of his. So the doctors would tell Ronald that he would need to lay down on a gurney and get his stomach pumped and suddenly would become calm and collective and said, no, I'm fine. Uh-huh. Jimmy Bates would learn of Timmy's death while on the job for the power company that he was working for on the night shift when his wife would call to let him know about Timothy dying and his daughter Kimberly wasn't feeling well. He would rush home, and by being rushed home, he would have said that he probably drove at least 110 miles an hour to be home with his children because of Timothy yeah. dying. And hearing what happened to Timothy, and now he's freaking out. This is the same thing happening to one of his own kids. Uh -huh. But fortunately, Kimberly was only having a headache. Oh, well, good. Uh, that look tells me it's <laughs> not so good. Okay, continue. No, it, no. <clears throat> it will... Because I know you probably have questions, and a lot of those questions get answered later. Okay. As word of Timothy's dead from the candy spread through Deer Park, Texas, parents would fear for their own children's safety, for their own children's safety, and would return their candy into the police, fearing it was laced with poison as well. At first, Ronald O'Brien wasn't a suspect to the police until Timothy's autopsy came back, and reported that he was con he had consumed cyanide. Oh. When he was questioned by police, he would tell them that he was given four or five of the 21-inch pixie sticks. Police would recover four of the five pixie sticks, and Warren Brown's parents would become hysterical when they couldn't find it after being notified by police. Thankfully, after rushing to Warren's room, they would find him asleep with a pixie stick in his hand, unopened. Since Warren wasn't able to get the staples off of the wrapper, he just held onto it and okay. went to sleep. Normally. Well, yeah. <laughs> Mark Bates, Jimmy Bates's son, did want to eat his pixie stick right away, 
since it was the biggest piece of candy he had ever had, according to an interview that I watched that they had with him. Mm-hmm. But their mother told him and his sister would have to wait until tomorrow and eat them outside since she had just finished cleaning their home. And as for Timothy's younger sister, Elizabeth, she had luckily was been so tired from trick-or-treating, she went to bed almost immediately when they returned home. So by divine intervention, will the universe... None of the other kids were able to eat the, these giant pixie Except sticks. Ronald's own kid. Mm-hmm. Dumbass. Ronald. Not, <laughs> not the kid. No, not the kid. All five of the pixie sticks in question would be tested and they would all come back positive for a cyanide. During the investigation of the candy, they would find that approximately two inches of the original powder candy would be removed and replaced with this poison. Pathologists estimated that there was probably enough cyanide in there between the four remaining to kill up to four adults. Holy shit. Yeah. Jimmy Bates didn't suspect that Ronald could have done anything like this, and his first reaction was that it had to be some kind of psycho or dope head in his own words. Right. After learning that the candy was poisoned. It wouldn't be until two days later at Timothy's funeral when he became suspicious of Ronald O'Brien. Bates would say in an interview that Ronald wasn't despondent in any way with what was being at his son's funeral. Yeah. Like showing no signs of grief or anything like that. One of the bigger things that made Jimmy Bates suspect Ronald had some kind of involvement was during the funeral when more than likely I'm going to assume it's when they were closing the casket. Usually when they play the, you know, the organ music when they're getting Mm -hmm. ready to present present the body for its final departure from the funeral home parlor um, that he showed that during that during while the organist was playing their piece and seeing with and seeing the accompaniment that Ronald walked right past Timothy's casket with no hesitation he said that he just walked right on by didn't slow down didn't even look at him just right on by like it wasn't even there Wow. And that when he saw this, Jimmy Bates would say right there, that's when it clicked in his brain that I could feel that was Ronald that had something to do with Timothy's death. Ooh. When law enforcement questioned O'Brien where he got the candy from, he would claim he couldn't remember or what street it was on, and he only had seen a hairy arm passing the candy through an open door. Very hollow, typical Halloween kind of thing—a dark house and just this just ominous, the hand, yeah. ominous arm comes out. <clears throat> yeah, but the officers were suspicious of him due to the fact that O'Brien and Bates had only taken their kids on two streets since it was raining that that mm-hmm. night when they were trick or treating. So it's like you only went two streets. How can you not remember what house it was or what it looked like? Right. Finally, O'Brien's would select the house, saying that it was the. That it was that house there, which happened to belong to a man named Courtney Melvin. Courtney? Courtney Melvin. Huh. Okay. Yeah, it's not really something you hear for a man's name. Uh-uh. I went to high school with a kid named Courtney. Really? Yep. Yeah, never. And he was like super short. We called him Pint. That's the nickname he wanted. I mean, it's better than Courtney as a dude, I guess. Yeah. No, it was a guy and that was his <clears throat> nickname was Pint. No, I'm saying I'd rather be called Pint than have, like, a girl's name for my name if I was a dude. That's what I'm saying. Like, give me a nickname. Don't call me Courtney. Yeah. But unfortunately for O'Brien, Courtney Melvin had an ironclad alibi as he worked as an air traffic controller at a nearby Hobby Airport and wouldn't return home until after 11 p.m. 
What is that? Hobby Airport? That's the name of it. That was the name oh, of the airport. Okay. It was Hobby Airport. I thought you said a nearby Hobby Airport. I'm like, what the fuck is Hobby Airport? No, it's the name of the airport. I, gotcha. I was like, what is it too? Because my first thought was. Did you look it up? <laughs> my first thought was, was like, are they like great big RC planes? Mm-hmm. I was like, they need traffic controllers. I'm, but that's. You got to well, think of rail, like model railroad clubs use. I know. You know. We did the whole dispatcher yes, thing. Yes, I know. All that thing. Melvin had more than enough witnesses to say that he was there at the airport. That's saying somewhere between 100 to 200 people knew that Melvin was there at the airport. So. Oh, damn. So, yeah, definite alibi. So, yeah. So, Courtney Melvin was cleared instantly for the most part. Yeah. During the progress of the investigation of his son's death, police would learn that Ronald Clark O'Brien was in debt for over $100,000. And, of course, you know what I did. Inflation calculator! came out to be $645,000 today in 2023. Oh. They would also learn that he would hold over 21 jobs in a till and over a 10-year period. Yeah. Okay. Terrible work ethic obviously or whatever reasons. And he also defaulted on several bank loans that their home was also foreclosed on, his car was about to be repossessed, and he was also possibly going to be fired from his job as an optician for theft. Optician? Hey, doctor. Okay. Optician? What did I say? Something else? No, you said optician. I've nope. never heard okay. that. Okay, I threw in an actual, actual extra letter in their own accident, apparently. Oh. An optician, you know, check size, all that good stuff. Oh, <laughs> check and- size. An eye doctor, for the most part. Okay. Police would also discover that O'Brien would take a life insurance policy out on Timothy and his sister in January of 1974 for $10,000 per child, coming out to $64,557 today. So he was... Was... Yeah, that's all done. Okay. And one month before Timothy would be killed, he would also take on an additional $20,000 policy on each child, coming out to $130,000 today. Totaling out to $60,000 in, in this time period, coming out to be $387,000 total in today's money. His insurance agent would find this odd as he was reducing his and his wife's own to increase his children's policy, and O'Brien would ask his agent to keep this between the two of them and not tell his wife. And now I go ahead with your question. Okay. So he upped his child's mm-hmm. uh, stuff. Yep. What would he have gotten from these other kids that were not his? I'll get into that. Okay. Tits would start. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You said tits. <laughs> hey, at least then we have a behind the scenes thing. I'm under a lot of pressure right now trying to do this whole episode on my own. And it being true crime. Why? <laughs> What's the word you were supposed to say? Tips. Like, just to put your tip between the tits. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> tips would start coming in after more. <laughs> <laughs> It's only words because you were fucking holding it in. Okay. Okay. Let's 
start, All right. Let's start Can we get some of your old out of you now? Okay, go. Tips would start coming in after more and more details surrounding Timothy's death would become more public. These tips would come from friends and co-workers that Ron had taken interest in cyanide and ask questions like how much would it take to kill someone and how long would it take for it to take effect. So he's just asking random people. Yeah. Wow. That's brave. I don't know. I don't know if he tried leading into a conversation like, oh, I just wonder how long, that, you know, how much or, you know, try to steer a conversation in that way. Just, you know, right. bullshitting out of things out of curiosity, you know, but there wasn't any information on that. The morning of Timothy's death, police would learn that O'Brien called his insurance company inquiring about collecting the policies that he had taken out on his son and that he had visited a chemical supply store to buy cyanide before Halloween. Now, the biggest thing is where people are like, how the fuck were you able to buy cyanide in the 1970s? A lot of things that we can't buy today, you could just go into a fucking store and buy it. Damn. You know, like a story I'm doing in May there was an explosive chemical called pyrotol that you could just go to a fucking general store and buy it. Huh. You could like literally just go to your country store or hardware store and buy literal stocks of fucking dynamite in that time period. Wow. You know, unlike now you need special licensing and it's a whole different world now. Yeah. Though. Well, I get that. And a lot of these things we cover are the reasons why things like that you can't do anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. like this is also in the same time period. You can go to a fucking high school with a fucking fully loaded shotgun rack in the, you know, the back window of your truck and nobody would bat a fucking eye about it. Yeah. But that's basically what it was. It's like, you can, you went to a chemical supply store once they would like said, now this is too expensive. It's like, well, you can go to this other one. You can get it for it much cheaper and a much smaller quantity. Like they're like, okay, so for the most part huh and after learning these facts this would start to make ronald clark o'brien their main suspect the entire time Denine, ronald's wife stayed by his side through the entire investigation believing it was someone else until they were both brought in for questioning about the insurance policies and that's when it all changed for her up until when she was brought in for questioning she had no clue if these changes had been made so when they were brought in for questioning about everything that's been going on. They yeah. put them in separate rooms, talked to them, asking the same questions, and that's when it came out to her that she had no idea about their life insurance policy changes, and that's when she's, like, putting it together at this point. November 5th, 1974, Ronald would be arrested and indicted on one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. With Denise's weekly visits... While well, he was still trying to say he was innocent of everything and was almost convincing, but she knew he was lying the whole time. So she knew. Well, after being questioned by the police. Well, yeah. At that point, she was like, yeah, yeah that it was yeah. him. Okay. But up until that point, when they, you know, being questioned about the insurance policy, she, no she didn't no clue. Like she thought somebody else did it. During his trial, it would be in the evidence and show that these particular type of pixie sticks are heat sealed and not stapled shut as where O'Brien did to fix the candies. And he had just folded them over and stapled them shut again. So by heat sealing, mm-hmm. you've seen them, how big these, you've seen them before. So oh, you yeah. know how they, they look on the end, you have to cut them all yes. open anyhow. And also while searching 
their home, the investigators would find scissors with sugar residue that matched pix- that of the same of pixie sticks and a adding machine, giant calculator with a tape receipt roll on it, you know. Yeah. And then they would find one of these with all of his current debts with handwritten amounts on the tape equaling about the same amount of the value of the insurance policies taken out on his kids. Oh, good Lord. <clears throat> a chemist that was an acquaintance of O'Brien would testify in the summer of 1973. Ronald O'Brien would ask him about cyanide and how much would be fatal. Like, instead before he had asked his co- friends and his co-workers as well, they same his questions, and these, for the people that started calling, and be like, hey, he's asking about this shit, and it's mm-hmm. weird as fuck. And the chemical supply salesman would also testify that he was contacted by O'Brien on how to purchase this chemical as well. That's where it became, no, that's too expensive. Well, here, go to these guys. They sell in smaller quantities for much cheaper. Mm-hmm. So, and... Cyanide is actually more used in manufacturing process for like printing and for print for the most part. Okay. If you're ever curious, one of the biggest things what cyanide, why this shit even exists as much as through your time in true crime, you hear about people using this for between the Victorian period to now and beyond if you can actually get your hands on it still or whatever. But mostly it's used for printing these days. O'Brien's sister and brother-in-laws would also testify that Ronald O'Brien would state during his own son's funeral that he was going to use the money from his son's life insurance to take a vacation and buy other items. Like paying off his debts? Mm-hmm. God. Also during the trial, it would come up that Ronald O'Brien envied his son as he is in a better place and didn't have to face the trials of life like he did. His wife would state during her testimony that Timothy didn't want the pixie stick and that Ronald had forced him to eat it. There also, Ronald would maintain his innocence during his trial, mm-hmm. from his or, or initial arrest, his trial, all the way up to the death battle, he would say he's fucking innocent. Of course. And it had only taken less than an hour to find Ronald Clark O'Brien guilty of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. It would sentence him to death by electric chair originally, but later on it would become lethal injection because in the 1980s the state of Texas switched over. Okay. So, to answer your question that you had and I said hold on about, the fifth child yeah. was to throw suspicion off. The th- Well, no. The three other kids, the Jimmy Bates' two children, Kimberly and Mark, and then this Warren Brown being the fifth one, they were, he wanted this to look like that it was some random person that did this to throw it off of him. Okay. That that makes sense. Yeah. That's why I was like, just hold on. There's a point that I get to and I'm going to explain that because I knew you're like, why why is he killing all these kids? Yeah. Like, what would he get out of the other kids dying if he's only upped like his, his, yeah, I get it. The main motive was to kill his two children to kill and collect the insurance money, but to have the other three die in the same manner so it wouldn't be looked as suspicious to him. Right. Yep. Makes sense. That makes him the suspect, but, you know, he fucked that all up. Well, yeah. <laughs> Ronald O'Brien's trial for killing his son would receive national attention, and he would become known as the man who killed Halloween or the Candyman nationwide in the Houston area as well. Later on, there would be another 
killer that would take over the title of Candyman later on that he might be another subject later on oh. down the road and from the same okay. area. Even though some sources stated that inmates gave him the name the nickname Candyman, but being a child killer and, you know, most prisoner codes, you kill a child, you're you're gonna have a bad day. Well yeah. Um, well, crimes against children in general, you know, with you know, inmate code. He would actually become shunned and despised by other death row inmates. Yes, As he should be. Right. I mean, you have to be like a real, real low, lowly piece of shit to be even looked down upon death row inmates. I mean, I'm sure like with the national tension this was getting and things were probably more lax in the prison system. They're probably like still getting local newspapers. So they're mm. seeing the story and whatnot. Even like even the most hardened criminals, even the ones on death row, mm-hmm. even they know not to fuck with kids. Like right. you, that's just a thing. You fuck with kids, you're gonna get fucked with. Right. So these death row inmates would actually petition to hold and organize a demonstration on his execution date to express how much they hated him. Did I tried to find out what this demonstration was that they wanted to hold? There wasn't really much out there, but it's just the fact that death row inmates are wanting to hold a demonstration against you for killing your a child, let alone it being your own child. It was probably going to be him getting fucked up real bad. Fucked yep. and fucked up. Probably. You know, it probably could have been. O'Brien's original execution date was set for August 8th, 1980, but was unfortunately... Unfortunately, successfully petitioned for a stay of execution being, yeah, I know. Your face is going to get even worse as I I read on here. A second date was then set for May 25th, 1982. And this also was postponed, but I was unable to find out why this date was. And then a third date was set for October 31st, 1982. On the 8th anniversary of his crimes, and a judge that set the next they would offer to personally drive him to the death chamber. Ha. Good. But. Oh, God. This date of October 31st would have been and made Richard O'Brien the first Texas death row inmate to be executed by lethal injection. But, of course, the best date possible to end the story with was postponed again by the Supreme Court to give O'Brien a chance to pursue an appeal and retrial. And his execution was then rescheduled for May 31st, 1984. Even though his lawyers tried for a fourth stay of execution on the basis of lethal injection was a cruel and unusual, a federal judge denied this. So on March 31st, 1984, Ronald Clark O'Brien would finally be put to death. Yay. (laughs) It's so fitting how you just... (laughs) No emotion. Yay. I I don't have kids, but you you don't fuck with kids. Right. Like so our good friends over at Danzy True Crime will always say, You don't fuck with kids. Right. So this piece of shit's last meal was a T bone steak. And this is for hold on. It's gonna get worse. Oh great. Medium to well done. Just cut this piece of shit up be a fucking boot letter. Well done? Yep. Ugh. Yeah. And he would also have French fries and maybe he got some moisture back with the ketchup on his well-done fucking piece of burnt leather. <laughs> whole whole kernel corn, sweet peas, a lettuce and tomato salad with egg and fresh French dressing, 
iced tea, saltine crackers, Boston cream pie, and dinner rolls. And he also wanted his corneas donated to an eye bank. No, thank you. Yeah. You know what he should have had as his last meal? A pixie stick full of cyanide? No. Every dick in that prison. (laughs) Yeah. It would only be eight steps from his cell to the death chamber where O'Brien... What? Eight steps? Yeah, it came up. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) It came up like in one of the older news articles about how many steps it was from this holding cell to the death chamber. Damn, he had like no no time. Like, okay, let's go. Okay, bye. It's like, and we're here. (laughs) That's great. And this is where Richard O'Brien would be strapped to a gurney. And he would it's been reported that he winked and nodded at some of the witnesses before giving his last words. What does fucker have to say? What is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong. However, we as human beings do make mistakes and errors. This execution is one of those wrongs, yet doesn't mean our whole system of justice is wrong. Therefore, I would forgive all of you who have taken part in any way of my death. Also, to anyone I have offended in any way during my 39 years, I pray and ask for your forgiveness, just as I forgive anyone who offended me in any way. And I pray and ask God's forgiveness for all of us respectively as human beings. To my loved ones, I extend my undying love. To those close to me known in your hearts, I love you one and all. God bless you all, and may God's best blessings be always yours. Like I said... I don't know if you he, could hear that, but my eyeballs just inverted. Yeah. Like I said, even up to the point of death, he tried to maintain the, his innocence of doing anything wrong. And at 12.01 a.m., March 31st, Richard Clark O'Brien would yawn deeply with a heaving chest, eyes closing into slits, and a death rattle. Ronald Clark O'Brien has finally answered for his killing his son in a beloved holiday for many. What happens outside during death row inmate executions? With how well this unique of a thing this is, there's uh-huh. actually some information on what happened outside usually typically you have people on both sides pro and anti uh-huh. you know anti death row not death row death penalty right protesters for the most part in which there was and with some of the few news reports they reported on what was going on so when the 24 witnesses emerged from what they called the death house in Texas. The crowd of approximately 300 people cheered and some shouted trick or treat as the witnesses emerged from the death house. <laughs> and other of these protesters or those showing support to the O'Brien family would shower the anti-death penalty protesters in candy. I also kind of feel that maybe that once they learned that he was finally dead, that it was a gesture to Timothy in another life, throwing the candy. Possibly that's maybe. Just, in my own personal opinion, that's what that was, because that's all he wanted. Like that was how it was reported. He wanted the candy. So, mm-hmm. and along with the the pro and anti death, you know, death penalty, 
Usually there's also candlelight vigils going on held for victims outside for when these things are going on. But the news station reported that these that have gathered that are holding these candles are doing so in the opposite reason of wanting the condemned to die. I know it's sounded weird, but I thought it was an interesting fact to throw in there because the candlelight vigils usually have those for people that die, not be like, because you want them to die. Right. And the best thing about one of these videos is that there's the most Texas possibly thing going on that this lady lights a cigarette off of her her candle that she's holding. There you go. I was like, that is a boss bitch move for the most part. I figured you were going to say something like somebody was there with their fucking barbecue. No, their not, grill. There might have been. Who knows? <laughs> Making a celebration feast for afterwards. Could it be? And one of the other video clips that I watched about this, trying to learn information, they would show that the crowd would cheer as the hearse made out of Chevy, Silverado, Suburban, whatever. Mm-hmm. They look cool as fuck. But they would cheer as the hearse would roll by carrying O'Brien's body in it. Huh. Yeah. I mean, this was such a unique thing that happened. Nobody knew how to re- react to it. Right. Yeah. So Denine would go on to remarry four years later after all this, and her daughter would also be adopted by her now Denine's new husband. Uh-huh. Denine's new name has never been re- revealed as she wanted a clean slate and put all of this nightmare behind her right. with her ba- her brand new beginnings. Even though she did receive $31,000 for Timothy's life insurance policy, but she never cashed it. And Jimmy Bates would remember her saying one time in an interview post all of this that she said that I can get by without it and rather not have to spend money with blood all over it. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Good on her. And then one of the other things that came up with Elizabeth, they only referred to him as Ronald and that was it. And that Ronald was her biological father. That was all she ever known about him like when she was older when he was on death row she wanted to go see him but she her mother would not let her have any contact with him but yeah that's it that is ronald clark o'brien the man that killed halloween or known as the candy man i have never heard that case before which was surprising to me because it's i know a halloween thing but it's like i wanted to save this for october so, but the- i was like no i want to do I keep saying I want to do more true crime. I want to do more true crime stuff. So I decided I'm starting off this month of well, couple you, solo episodes with one. You kind of filled my role and your role because I'm usually the true crime person right. and you are usually the weird history slash origins person. Right. Well, it's not ever come out to say that this is the definitive reason why... That this is a definitive reason or origin, I guess you could say, of where you checked your Halloween candy from. There is another story that I did find that I had thought about doing from 1894 where 200 people were accidentally poisoned with uh, arsenic in uh, Victorian England for the most part. Come fucking chew on it now next to me, fucker. He is... Where 200 people were accidentally poisoned with cyanide lace candy in Bradford, England. How do you accidentally poison hundreds of people? It's. I haven't read in a lot into it, so I'm probably going to save that for October. Yeah. For our next Halloween episode of some sort. But 
that uh, bread for poisoning that will be a whole other episode later on this year more than likely nice i'll be interested to hear that so. one way to go on the true crime I like, I like it yeah i like it a lot i probably threw you off a little bit with me doing it a little bit yeah so yeah there's not much else to say today oh on that note i think it's time we close the emporium up for the day sarah what do you think i agree so until next time remember to creep real Please check out our website at macabreemporiumpodcast.com. Join our Facebook group by searching Macabre Emporium. Like and subscribe on YouTube at Macabre Emporium Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Macabre Emporium. And if you have any stories of the paranormal, your local true crime, or weird history that you would want us to look into and possibly do an episode on, email us at macabreemporiumpod at gmail.com. Remember to follow, rate, like, review, and share whenever and wherever you can and help us grow our little baby podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So you caught me when I was licking my mouth. Okay.